is the final words of Malachi and the final words of the Old Testament. Look, the day is coming, burning like an oven. All the arrogant ones and all those doing evil will become straw. The coming day will burn them, says the Lord of heavenly forces, leaving them neither root nor branch. But the son of righteousness will rise on those revering my name. Healing will be in its wings so that you will go forth and jump about like calves in the stall. You will crush the wicked. They will be like dust beneath the soles of your feet. On the day I am preparing, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Remember the instruction from Moses, my servant, to whom I gave instruction and rules for all Israel at Horeb. Look, I am sending Elijah the prophet to you before the great and terrifying day of the Lord arrives. Turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think we have heard and seen one too many supposed prophets proclaim that this is the year or this is the day that Jesus will return, that it's the day of the Lord. Maybe you remember like me when the turning of the year 2000 came and, and, and the Y2K craze was everywhere. And I think this was when tabloids were always lining the grocery aisle and it seemed like every week there was a prediction about that this was going to be the end of the world. Or maybe you've been around when cult leaders were proclaiming that they were the Messiah or that this indeed was the year. And every prediction that I know has been wrong so far, at least um, about those things, whether it was predictions by these televangelists or predictions by cult leaders, or it was hellfire and brimstone preachers that maybe you grew up with or you went to revival to hear, I think we've, as 21st century Christians in the West, we think very little about the day of the Lord today. We are civilized now, after all, we don't actually think that God would manipulate weather patterns or bring great destruction on the earth. Science can explain to us all of these phenomena now. So this is the world that I think we occupy, that we live in a little bit. There's no room in it for God's personal or transcendent power for us. We have ways to explain it all away. So the words of judgment that we read about the day of the Lord and in the prophets seem overblown. After all, if God was really so upset about evil in the world, wouldn't God have come to judge it by now? Like there's plenty, right? And there's been plenty of opportunity in human history for God to come and blow it all to smithereens or whatever is going to happen on this day of the Lord. And the words of hope in the same way that we read seem a little bit like a fairy tale. If God is going to set the world right, we might figure, is it now a good enough time? Or couldn't like the Holocaust have been a good enough time? Or couldn't the Crusades or other times right throughout human history have been good enough times for God to come and set it all right? So I wonder then, how can we, how can we 21st century civilized people understand these final words of the Old Testament today? And... Can we actually live in a way that believes in this future coming day of the Lord? 
Malachi begins in the third chapter and talks in, in these ways that we hear sometimes repeated at Advent when he says, who can survive the day of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? And, and, and we get this idea that the messenger of God's covenant is coming. It says the one whom you delight in is coming, but who can withstand his appearance? Who, who can hold up when he comes? And the rhetorical answer to the prophet's question is no one, no one can stand up when the Holy One comes to judge. No one who goes directly against God's commands, especially for these commands are at the heart of justice. In verse five, in verse five, Malachi gives this list. He says, I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those swearing falsely, against those who cheat the day laborers out of their wages as well as oppress the widow and the orphan, and against those who brush aside the foreigner and do not revere me, says the Lord of heavenly forces. These are all the people who break the covenant. These are all of the people kind of put together into one big category, those who do not revere God all throughout the Old Testament, those who don't fear the Lord, those who those who take his covenant kind of with a grain of salt and don't really take it seriously is what the prophet is saying. This then is the judgment day of the Lord. It's bad news for people who are perpetuating injustice. Perhaps we don't believe in this part very much because we can see how much injustice reigns in our world. The people of Israel no doubt struggled to believe this in their day as well. Injustice reigned for them, right? The people of Israel have been treated awfully in the midst of this time. They've been taken as slaves in Egypt, brought back to the promised land, and then gradually over time, as they disobey, they get exiled out of their land and then finally are brought back, but it's not the same. The temple is destroyed the people of Israel were getting further and further away from the day of remembrance that they have of this day of Passover when God saved them from the people of Egypt. It seemed like evil and injustice was going to rule. But God's promise is God's consistency to the people of Israel. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. God's promise is that God is always consistent to Israel. And Israel's only consistency seems to be, just like humanity's throughout all time, has been our ability to break the covenant with God. Our ability to abandon and forget it. So God then promises to Israel, he says, return to me. Return to me and I will return to you. And Israel then asks God this question, this series of two questions. How, how shall we return which Israel really, frankly, knows the answer to. These are always rhetorical questions in this section. How shall we return? And later on, God will tell them that they've been deceiving him, and they say, well, how have we deceived you? There's this pattern of return time and time again in Scripture. Other prophets, like Joel, call for this return as well. And God always, always receives Israel when they return. That's part of why he sends the prophets, is to call them back to do extreme things so that they would return back into relationship with God. But practically, practically, how should Israel return? Well, the people know how to return to God, and they know how they have deceived God. In this case, 
They are trying to offer God the bare minimum and skirt around the law that God has given to them. It's like they're asking questions when they come and think about their offertory gift, right? It talks about the tenth part or the tithe that was a common practice in Israel, specifically to bring a tenth of their grain or a tenth of their overall offering to God. And it's like they're sitting there asking questions like, does God want me to give pre-tax or after-tax? Right? God, God challenges the people to trust wholly and give the entire tithe. And Malachi's simple solution to them was to bring the whole tithe and God will heal your land. I think sometimes the question that we face, whether it's the realities of the financial markets and things like this, are, are do we trust the market? Do we trust the system more than we trust God? Forgiving generously at times feels naive and it definitely feels financially unsavvy. But why would God's prescription for the people's problem be about giving? Isn't their problem like a heart condition or something like that? You see, we are used to spiritual solutions for religious problems. But the prophets and all of scripture do not separate our spiritual life from the rest of life like we do. To them, everything, everything, the whole of life is spiritual. Giving, then, is a practical way to see where we are and what we trust. God asks Israel to trust him and to bring a tenth part to him, and simply they weren't doing it. Our level of generosity reveals our hearts. And the more that we earn throughout life, the more tempting it is to become stingy with it or to feel like we deserve it. But the people I know who live the lives that I want to emulate the most, the people who follow Christ closely that I want to follow are those who are open-handed and generous. There are people who share. There are people who delight in giving, not who delight in having. You see, this day of the Lord, it is terrible news for evil. And it is wonderful news for those who are revering God's name. That's the final promise of Malachi. This is the focus of this final chapter in the Old Testament. There is this sense a little bit of hellfire and brimstone on the day of the Lord. It is bad news for evil and for those participating in it. There is some bad news. As United Methodist people, when we come before the waters of baptism or we come in confirmation and we commit ourselves before God, we say these words. The pastor asks, do you resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Friends, part of the, our baptismal vows that go back really to the early church are saying, do you resist evil, injustice, and oppression? In other words, God will judge evil. Are you running from it? Are you not participating in it? This is part of the good news is that God is going to judge evil. And the good news is truly that God will bring salvation and joy that has seemingly been delayed. God is going to make it right. Is our promise, is the promise of the prophets, is the promise that goes all the way through the book of Revelation. In a Bible Project video I watched this week about the day of the Lord, they said it in a really wonderful way. It said, the day of the Lord is an invitation to resist the culture of Babylon. 
and a promise that God will one day free our world from corruption and bring about the new thing that he has in store. In other words, the day of the Lord is an invitation. It's an invitation that even though it's not here yet, get away from everything that is evil. And so often we've made this like a spiritual thing in our lives. We've made getting away from the evil about like making sure you don't say cuss words and stuff like that, which is good. But we've made it all about my person and what I'm doing. And, and we also need to think about the, the systemic injustices that exist in our world and the ways in which we participate in those systems. And God is saying, listen, listen, get out of them and, and, and participate in holiness and justice and for what is right. Live justly and participate in God's way on earth. It's an invitation to live as if that day is here. And it's a promise of hope that says God is already, already in the business of making all things new. So live like it. How does the closing of the prophets and the entire Old Testament about this day of the Lord, it closes on this, anticipate the New Testament. Well, first, it's a reflection about what happens, what happens to Israel, what happens to people when they are faithful to God's covenant. It goes well, and overall, when we're not faithful to it, it does not go well, and it won't. This is also a promise about the whole of Scripture's message from the beginning of Genesis all the way through this point, that God will be faithful to God's people when they obey when they remain faithful in the covenant. And I wonder about how Jesus' arrival on the scene then relates to the day of the Lord. I mean, early on, we see the symbolism of John the Baptist presented as a prophet, often spoke of using these words of Malachi, right? I'm sending one who will go before me, preparing the way of the Lord, like an Elijah heralding the day of the Lord. And the Torah and the prophets, they point towards the hope of this future. So Jesus' ministry of freeing those bound by the powers of evil, like sickness and demons, is a sign of the day of the Lord. Jesus' death and resurrection then begins this reign. And we wait for the days foretold in Revelation, which foretell when the powers of evil will forever be vanquished and we will reign with God. Friends, it is not simp simplistic or silly for us as Christian people to long for the day of the Lord, to long for Jesus to come. This is what Christians do. Literally, the second, last, the second to last verse of Scripture in the New Testament proclaims, Come, Lord Jesus. It's the lasting prayer of us as Christian people. It should be our prayer. We are called to live with this hopeful judgment of the day of the Lord. You are invited to live within God's reign today. To live as if it is fully here. And you are encouraged to live with the promise that Jesus is coming and will make all things new. My friends, that's a promise. It's a promise that should give us immense hope when things are not all new in our world, whether that's big, big things or it's small things in our own lives. That the promise comes that there will come a day when God will take away, he will take away mourning and crying and pain and death will be no more. That is the hope 
of the day of the Lord, that God will come and make all things new. It takes a countercultural boldness to live with hope and justice in the face of despair and injustice. I want you to hear that again. It takes a countercultural hope. It goes against the grain of what happens in our culture for us to live with hope and justice in the face of despair and injustice. And perhaps that's the call of the prophets for each and every one of us today. Would you pray with me? Lord, in the midst of hearing about and thinking about this day of the Lord, this day that we don't know when it's exactly going to come, God, I pray that we would live as people of hope and justice, like the prophets call us to. Lord, for a lot of us, it is easy. For all of us, it it is easier to avoid questions about justice in our world and to just kind of put our head down and, and live and figure out how to survive each day. And yet you call us to something bigger. You call us to be part of your movement, your movement towards justice, your movement towards making sure that there is a place at the table for everyone. And Lord, you give us the hope, these visions, these proclamations that there is a day when you will make everything right and set everything up new. So Lord, we long for that day and we proclaim, come Lord Jesus, along with the prophets who went before us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. you stand as you are able and join me in